stuffing the stat sheet with stuffing the stat sheet. What y'all wanna do? Don't you know we always come in through? Me and my crew, let me hear you say fire! Welcome to another episode of Stuffing the Stat Sheet. I'm your host, Joey Ricotta, and on with me, I have a special guest. Uh, his name is David Mendelson. Uh, hope is, I hope I'm saying his name right, but uh, he's a writer at Fantrax. Um, he also contributes with Fantasy DGENs, and uh, he's a co-host of uh, Triple Play Fantasy podcast. And he also happens to be in my TGFBI league this year alongside uh, some other really good fantasy players. So um, I'm, I'm kind of hoping I could steal some of his strategies here on this episode. Um, David, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show. I'm doing good, man. Thanks for the nice introduction. It's nice to see, kind of meet you face to face, someone that I'm going to be going against tomorrow and... Uh... Not having so many friendly vibes when we're trying to take each other's players, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, man, I, I'm I'm pumped. TGFBI is tomorrow, so it'll be fun, and I'm um, excited to talk some some second base and some other players with you. Yeah, sounds good, man. I uh, I do happen to listen to uh, Triple Play Fantasy uh, a lot during the week. I listen to a lot of different podcasts because I drive for work. I drive uh, deliver FedEx packages, um, and it's pretty boring when you're out by yourself <laughs> all day long. And, uh, you know, I'm obsessed with fantasy. So what better way than to listen to a bunch of fantasy podcasts? And yours happens to be one of them that I tune into. So um, I'm definitely excited to have you on and talk some strategy here. And uh, more importantly, talk about second base. Because you had an article come out. Um, you wrote almost 4,500 words. <laughs> on the second base position with uh including studs and upside plays players and situations to avoid um some late round targets uh so what what do you see let's start from the top um you kind of tiered it off as like a top three like a stud section here mm -hmm. what do you see from the top as far as adp goes and uh could you see yourself i don't want to dive too specifically into your what you're going to do at this upcoming draft because i don't want it to be like i'm taking away what you're doing and i want to know the information blah blah blah. but what do you see from the top with these second basemen and and uh and who who do you put in the in the front and who are you prioritizing or who do you feel comfortable with taking if you were to take a second baseman i've done a lot of mock drafts and best ball drafts, which I, is my first thing I'm going to suggest to anybody listening that's doing drafting to do a lot of these best balls and these, these drafts, it's like $10 buy-ins. You can get a good sense of the player pool and you're able to kind of learn how you want to build your roster for the leagues that you're really serious about. And if you just do mocks, then you'll have people quit their, their draft early or go on auto picks. You won't get a really good sense of, of playing with experienced players of what it will look like when you draft. So that's the first thing. And when I've been doing a lot of these best balls, uh, I've, I've kind of mixed the approaches if I want to take that stud second baseman early. And you mentioned in the article, the, the stud central tier, it's, it's three guys. And these are the three guys that you're plugging in that second base hole and you're not looking back. They're the guys, it's DJ LeMahieu, Ozzie Albies, and Whit Merrifield. These guys you take as your second baseman. 
and you are just plugging it in and then you're looking everywhere else and you're not worried about things. Now, they each provide their own unique little twist of why they might be better than the others. Uh, obviously, DJ LeMayu is, gonna, is going roughly 14 picks ahead of Whit Merrifield. So, uh, you know, it's, it's still a, a potentially a round difference between the two of, of them in that case. But if you're looking for a higher batting average floor, you have DJ LeMayu. He's going to hit you at uh, easy above 300 batting average. He's going to get a lot of runs atop the Yankees lineup. You have Ozzie Albies, who you know is going to be balanced across the board. He's going to give you some steals. He's got some power in that bat. And then you have Whit Merrifield, who probably has the highest stolen base upside of the bunch. He is in the weakest lineup, but he should be also a good person to be able to accumulate some counting stats. It kind of depends which one of these three you want to take if you decide you want to go that stud second baseman. is If you're like, okay, I'm going to shoot for I want the speed, you're going to take Whit Merrifield. If you're like, I want the batting average floor, you're going to take DJ LeMayu. And if you're looking for a guy that could give you 30 home runs, potentially in a full season, Ozzie Albies is that guy that has that upside. So I know it's kind of the... The answer everybody says, and it doesn't really help in much, but it kind of depends on how you want to do your roster construction and how you want to uh, attack certain categories. No, that is very helpful. Um, and you make a great point. Like you're, you're, you're basically drafting these three guys for different reasons. Um, I actually am in a NFBC 50s draft right now. It's a slow draft, um, 50 rounds. I Ended up auto-drafting Whit Merrifield because I fell asleep on the couch. Um, yeah, it's terrible. Do not recommend. But, <laughs> but I'm okay with Whit Merrifield because I feel like what he provides, it wasn't like necessarily bad. He, he was queued up, so it wasn't like I was just the next guy that was in line. Um, I like that he provides, like you said, the steals and the average. Um, does position versatility matter when you're ranking a second baseman? Like, do would you prioritize LeMahieu and Merrifield over Albies because of that, or is that just kind of like uh, a bonus? I guess. I think it depends on who you ask. I do prefer the position flexibility as something that will weigh me from one guy over another. Just as un- just like every year, injuries happen, and if you don't have those guys that you can plug in in different spots then it really limits the kind of the studs that you can build and, and who you can put on your roster that if you have that, you know, there's the Tommy Edmonds of the world that have four positions listed and you can get those guys. And then if anybody gets hurt, then you can pretty much pick up anybody with your fab money. You don't have to be like, I, I need an outfielder or I don't need, like you can literally put Edmond wherever that, that plugs in. And then you have somebody on your bench that can just slide up. Um, so that's that's why I like to do the multiple position thing. But it's not the if it's if their skill difference is significant, I'm not going to let the multi eligibility sway me from someone I think is a lot better than, than the other person. No, that makes a ton of sense. Um, moving on here to the next tier, you called it the boom bust tier uh, with Kevin Biggio, Keston Hira and Brandon Lau. Low or low? I always screw that up. <laughs> it's uh, I think it's it's Low and then Nate Low is the one on the Rangers. Right, 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 right. Yes, yes. Nate Low, Brandon Low. So I guess I was right. <laughs> um, but uh, ADP for the month of February, uh, we've got Biggio at around sixty-three as the fourth second baseman. Hira at sixty-nine as second baseman five, and Low. Around 69 as the sixth second baseman. So, 
Walk me through this tier. Yeah, so this tier is exactly how it sounds. It's, they could be huge contributors at the second base position for you, or they could just be catastrophic failures, and it's anybody's guess of what you're getting. Some experts don't like the risk that they bring and are just staying away from them completely. But these are the type of guys that if you draft in a main event league, they're the guys that could win you the overall if you pick the right one. You have Kevin Biggio, who's just a walking machine. He gets his his on-base percentage is awesome. If you're in an OBP league, he definitely elevates some. But you look at his other stuff, doesn't hit the ball very hard. He actually ranked last in max exit velocity in the big leagues last year. I think he was the 142nd out of 142nd players that qualified. And he uh, he pretty much has to rely on pulling the ball if he wants to be able to get extra base hits. So he's somebody that if you go to his stat cast profile, you'll see a lot of blue, doesn't slug, doesn't hit the ball hard, like I said. His expected batting average was really bad, so he actually he was going to hit worse than he actually did. It probably full season played out and again that he was already at a 250 average so it's it could get a lot worse than that he'll give you some steals and I think he a little bit he looked a little bit more attractive before they brought George Springer in but now that it's, it seems most likely that Springer is going to hit a top of that lineup you might have Biggio sliding down to that bottom third of that Blue Jays lineup which is even worse for his value so again if he moves to the top of the lineup at some point maybe hits number two Maybe he worked on some stuff this offseason that we're going to see in spring training. But um, for right now, I've been fading Biggio pretty much in almost every league I'm in. Keston Hira, the power's there. He's got that 30 home run power from a position that lacks power. But you have to look at that K percentage. His K percentage is awful. Last year, it got up to close to 36%. He's somebody that uh, is among the league worst in strikeout percentage. And his actual his hard hit rate and all his hard hitting data went down as well. So... He's somebody that I think a lot of people are taking the risk on more than Kevin Biggio. He also is going to have the first base eligibility built in. So especially if you're looking for power, he's somebody that I would feel comfortable taking where he is. But again, if you're looking to avoid batting average risk, he's not someone that's going to hit 300, and uh, I would expect in a full season. And then you get to the last guy, Brandon Lau, who... His literally the definition of somebody that will go hot for two weeks and then will be go cold for three weeks and then we'll go hot for a month and then we'll have a cold month. He's not someone that's shown can he can have consistent production the entire year. And you look at his stats kind of last year, he basically had a great first month, a really bad second month, and then in the playoffs looked like a completely different hitter, was striking out a ton. So it, he's a streaky guy, and I think that's what he's probably going to be. So it's someone that you can draft knowing he's going to give you some weeks where you're going to have really great ratios from him and he's going to help you in a lot of areas. And then there's going to be weeks where his strikeout rate is in the the mid to high 30s and he's just not hitting anything. And it's just kind of, again, you have to live with that uh, seesaw kind of effect that he provides. Yeah, he strikes me as somebody that would be a little bit more, a little bit better for a points league. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that if that's the right way to look at it or not, but I th- I feel like you can live with a little bit more of the highs and the lows if you're getting that or like a best ball format, I guess. Um, if you're getting that kind of uh, inconsistency or you know the streakiness nature um, with Brandon Lau. Um, so I guess the next question is: Would you? draft one of these three or is it just kind of a full fade based on their boom bust 
nature or how far would they have to fall for you to uh, consider them if if you're not really on them i haven't drafted too many i drafted some keston here early um but I, I for the most part i haven't been drafting any of these guys i don't have any nate lau shares i don't have any kevin biggio shares um i usually for the most part in my drafts i've either been grabbing one of the top three wait wait, think- wait 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 we gotta stop there you said nate lau i think now you're changing the name. Did I say Nate Lau? <laughs> <laughs> I think. Oh my God. I think. I think. We just talked about this. But, see, I screwed you up because I said, which one is it? And then, I don't know. I don't have to go back because you might not have said it. I might have actually just heard it that time. So, who knows? You might not have even screwed up. I might Lau's have just are heard. haunting us, man. Lau low, and there's another Lau, I think, in the race system. It's just they're all over the place. How low can you go? You're right. So, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 you're good. I, I, yeah, I think honestly, I'm sticking in the top three, or I'm just waiting until to draft somebody that's a little safer later on, somebody that I'm not having to do as much draft capital for. And and these guys are also going in a range of where I like to grab another pitcher, or there's other bats at other positions I really like. So I, I'm pretty confident in saying that if these guys boom, I probably won't be one of the ones that benefits, but I also won't be there if they bust either. That makes a lot of sense. I think what we keep hearing lately, uh, and my whole strategy has been because of, of this is my third year in TGFBI, and I I've seen how it can go if you take a little bit more risk, especially early on. I've seen it. It's doesn't really work out some of these some of the times, especially if you got to factor in injuries and stuff like that too. So that can always happen, but. Um, I'm a little bit more, I lean on the side of caution. So I can safely say that these guys are probably off my list as mm-hmm. well. Uh, I probably will not be targeting them. But you never know if they do fall. There's always a chance that I, I could uh, pull the trigger. Um, moving on here, their average, I guessed here. That's what you got listed in your article. Um, we have Cattell Marte. And Jeff McNeil, uh, Marte was somebody who we just talked about uh, on a podcast I recorded before having you on for this one. Um, I'm talking with Johnny Black, who is the president of PrimetimeSportsTalk.com, where I write and contribute. Uh, Cattell Marte was somebody who we kind of had, we were on the same page with, but we kind of uh, deferred a little bit. He would be completely out on him, it sounds like at his ADP, but if he falls a little bit, I'm more of the the sense that I'd be okay with him at his ADP, but I would like him to fall if I were to take him because, you know, it just, if you look at some of his numbers that we had, um, that I had written down, and I don't know where the heck they are now, and I'm not somebody who memorizes all this stuff off the top of my head, but, um, you know, he, he had a great monster year in 2019. Um, followed up last year by obviously not producing the way that we thought. But um, I think he's still capable. I think he still has that in there. He's not somebody who I'm overly excited to get. Like, I don't want to reach for Cattell Marte. But, um, you know, he doesn't strike out. He doesn't whiff much. He's He's elite in both areas. Hard hit rate basically stayed the same from 2019 to 2020. It was at 40%. Of course, the barrel rate was down 
to 3.7%. Um, the sprint speed's okay, 70th percentile. He doesn't. He didn't walk much last year, 3.6%. I, I just feel like if he gives you a 285 to 292 average, steals between six and eight bases, because you probably can't expect too much, although he did steal 10, ba- 10 bags in 2019, if he hits 20 homers and he gives you a decent average, I kind of – I kind of like him. What do you think about Marte and and I guess Jeff McNeil since he's uh, in the same type of tier there for you? Yeah, so, I mean, you said a lot of things I agree with. It's Cattell Marte obviously had a career 2019 and 2020. Didn't look quite, quite as good. Obviously, we don't know how that would have played out if in a full season. But the one thing that stayed pretty consistent was his batting average, and that's kind of why him and McNeil are in the average, I guess, tier, kind of just playing on words, not that they're average players, yeah. but... Uh, they're both going to give you a great average. And that's you're taking these guys for the boom-bust tier above them. They're the guys I feel very confident that are going to be steady but not flashy guys. They're going to be the guys that you can have in your lineup. You know, maybe we'll give you 10 to 15 home runs. The dead in baseball, obviously, you have to project maybe a little bit of a decrease in home runs. 10 to 15 home runs, hit close to 300. You know, give you anywhere from maybe 60, 70-plus RBIs. And give you some runs because these guys are going to hit most likely towards the top of the lineup, you would think. So that's that's kind of like they're the the steady Eddie guys, the the ones that I'm actually very much a little bit more Marte than McNeil. But I'm actually if I'm not overdrafting them. But when it comes back to me and they're right around where I'm picking, I'm very comfortable taking them, and plugging them in. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, I I would I would take Marte over. McNeil, but like you said, playing on the words, they're average, but they're not average. It's for average. Um, I'd be okay with McNeil, too. Um, I would like to – they're just, like, kind of boring, I guess, even though Marte, he has, like, flashiness in his game as a, as a real-life player. Um, but they're just kind of like those boring guys that could probably get it done. Speaking of boring, moving on to the next tier um, – the grizzled veteran tier. I like how you group these guys together. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Boring is the right word. I guess I'm just kind of sounding redundant as I'm saying that now. But you have Max Muncy, Jose Altuve, and Mike Moustakis. Um, there's some home runs in here, and there's potentially some batting average with uh, Altuve. So, uh, what do you like about these guys? Who would you prefer out of this group? I'm very much in the Jose Altuve camp. I think his ADP is so low now that I'm very comfortable taking him, As whereas he'd kind of declined a little bit last year and the year before, and he was still going as a top few-round pick, and that's not the case anymore. So I think he's a little bit more of a value. First on Muncie, I don't really ever take Max Muncie too much. Um, he's not somebody that... He's someone that's that in um, points leagues is, is pretty good because he'll walk some. He'll get on mm-hmm. base some, but uh, I actually owe this stat to uh, or this research to Little Cheesecake on the Triple Play Show because he looked this up and I used it in the article. Was that Muncy basically relies on the fastball, and if you look since 2018, pitchers have been giving him less and less fastballs every single year, and he's against the other pitches, he's not nearly as good. But also the amount of home runs he hits on fastballs compared to everything else is is completely ridiculous. In 2018, 24 
home runs against fastballs, 11 against non-fastballs. In 2019, 25 homers against fastballs, 10 against other pitches. And then last year, 11 were against fastballs and one against another type of pitch. So wow. as he's getting older and maybe losing some bat speed he and, and just overall just his eye at the plate, he's relying very much on being able to hit fastballs. And you can see that in the batting average against, too. It's just it's somebody that I, I am not somebody I'm targeting a lot if I can. But I look at mm-hmm. someone like Jose Altuve, and this is something that I found you look at 2020, he hit 219 and had WRC plus a 77 uh, through the 60-game season. But then when you look at his postseason, he hit five home runs and hit 375 over his 60 plate appearances in the playoffs, which included homers off Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now. So that basically those 60 plate appearances accounted for 23% of his overall statistics in 2020. And what you won't see is that won't be included in his 2020 because playoff statistics don't go towards it. So you have to think, hey, if these 60 games expanded longer, maybe he's actually going to have a lot better numbers. His, he's going to have risen up four or five rounds from where he's going right now. Uh, so I think that's why he's such a bargain. And he actually, a graph that I was able to get, um, I have the source at, at the bottom of my article. I don't know the top of my head, but he actually had the the biggest turnaround of any hitter that played in the playoffs from the regular season. So it's somebody I'm very comfortable taking him where he is. And Mike Moustakis, uh, again, in a short sample, it's hard to to say if things are how it's going to be this year or if his, things would have changed. He had a career-high K rate. His O contact percentage was way down. But I think he's someone you can still lock in for third, you know, 30 home runs. He's going to hit you 70, 80 RBIs. Not going to give you a lot of batting average. I would expect probably a... A 250 average, but somebody that's going to be a, a steady source of of some counting stats for you. Nothing flashy, but he'll get the job done. Yeah, I tend to agree with all that. Uh, Altuve's, of course. Yeah, that's that's somebody who I think a lot of people. I don't understand why his ADP has fallen to where it has at this point. I think a lot of people are. I mean, you, you touched on all the right points. He. If you would have played longer last season for the regular season, I mean, he started off so so slow, came around in the playoffs. But when you factor in everything that was happening around the team, I mean, the real-life factor, the fact of the matter, the real-life stuff that's going on around the Astros with the whole scandal thing, you know, there's a lot of pressure built in there. And the Astros just, in general, had a down year. Um, of course, some players dealt with it differently than others, but I feel like Altuve was one of the guys that was, the target was on him a lot more than some of the other guys. Him and Bregman, the target were, was really on those two guys, and not everybody liked the way that they handled the situation. So I think that led to a lot of his struggles early on. You put that into a full season, now he turned it around in the playoffs, and kind of this like F you type of mentality that they kind of showed in the playoffs and um not this isn't me promoting the Astros or anything like that I'm not even an Astros fan but uh I can buy in to Altuve maybe gives you some steals add some average um yeah I know I, I do like that the other guys you mentioned I'm probably off of Muncie I don't like guys that don't hit for much average but if he gives you power if he falls stay with Moustakis but I could see him hitting for a higher average than Muncie and being lower, but Muncie will give you more power, probably. I don't know. It's kind of where I am with those guys. Um, 
So we moving moving on here to the full of promise tier, what you called it. Uh, Dylan Moore, Tommy Edmond, Nick Solak, and Andres Jimenez. So full of promise. So I feel like these guys are like super. They're being talked up a lot throughout the industry. Just different ones from different people. So everybody seems to have their favorite out of this group. I don't know, like, I don't know if I can trust any of these guys, but like you, like you mentioned on the title here, full of promise, which one of these guys is the most promising for you? And, or are, are they actually full of promise or is that just kind of how you stated it full of promise as far as like people think they're full of promise? What do you think about this tier? Are these hitting, by the way? Are these, like, tier names hitting? Or are they just, like, dude, what? No, I like them. I like them. I don't know if people understand what I'm referencing. I'm referencing your article. I yeah. hope I made that clear. But I, I like the uh, – I think they're hitting. Maybe I'm and maybe I'm misinterpreting them. I don't know. No, no, you're – like, I, I thought it's kind of funny when you group players you feel like are similar, but you also can be funny with some of the names, and it's not just – I don't like writing in a situation where it's like a, a black and white, like old, old school. I like to add some flair and some fun and make you smile while you read type of thing. Too, so, <laughs> well, you did the- that. You did. That. <laughs> I like it. I, I personally, I like it. And whoever says that they don't like it, screw them. They don't have to like it. But the tier, it does its job the way that you tiered them because you, you categorize them. And, and that's what tiers are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to be something that you can identify these different players you're you're grouping them together in in different buckets but uh it's basically the range that you would feel comfortable with taking those players at the same sense in the same sense and i like i like it get creative with it why not i i do i appreciate that yeah and again like if you i have the adps next to them so you'll see some of them aren't necessarily going at the exact same point but i put them in similar type of how players are drafting them. These four guys right here are guys that have shown glimpses and flashes and have promise, but they haven't done a lot to prove consistent production. So that's why, again, you have Dylan Moore, Tommy Edmund, Nick Solak, Andres Jimenez. Dylan Moore is going around 114, and Andres Jimenez is going around 177. So it is a, a little gap between them. Dylan Moore, I have to be honest with you, I wasn't a huge fan of him, and especially how much he got bumped up draft boards. He was an easy stay away from guy for me. But Dave McDonald, who I respect very much, we've actually gotten to know each other pretty well. He's a nice guy. Um, I don't agree with everything he says, but I've listened to some of the stuff he said about Dylan Moore. And it's kind of drawn me back in a little bit, not to where I'm going to overpay for him, but I would basically let him just slide and slide and I wouldn't even look twice to draft him near where he was. And now I'm starting to mm. consider taking him, especially in Roto Leagues, obviously with the the, the stolen base upside he can provide. But um, played in 38 games last year, saw a huge jump from 2019. Uh, his strikeout percentage dropped 6%, WRC plus of 138, hit 255. Uh, but some things you noticed in the shortened season, that, and again, starting with the speed, he actually had more stolen bases in the shortened season 12 than he did the entire 2019 season 11. And he was also more efficient getting caught five times in 2020 instead of nine times that he did in 2019. So 20 stolen base upside really seems to be possible for him. 
He's also going to get more at-bats and have an everyday position at second base, which he didn't have before, and I think it says a lot mentally when you don't have to move around the diamond. You can lock down one position. So it is a risky proposition as ADP, but it's someone I think, again, it goes into that, not that he's a boom-bust player, but it's kind of how lucky do you feel? Do you think you're going to get the glimpses of the Dylan Moore we saw this year and going to get 20 stolen bases, 20 home runs, and someone that's going to hit 260? Then, yeah, I mean, it, it's a good value then. Um, Tommy Edmond is a little bit different. He's a super utility guy pretty much the first two years of the big leagues. is kind of hit for a little bit of a better average, but not nearly as much power as Dylan Moore's had. He's had 17 base stolen bases across the two seasons. He's willing to show bags, has a 95% sprint speed, and he also has an 84% whiff percentage and an above ex- uh, average expected batting average. So he's going to be a guy that's going to not strike out quite as much. He has a good sprint speed. He's going to give you a good batting average. But again, he won't hit the ball hard. I, I would expect him to probably hit close to maybe 10, 11, 12 home runs, but I wouldn't expect much more than that. Then you look at Nick Solak, who... For the first time, he's 26 years old, and he's a veteran for the Texas offense. And he's never had an f- actual full season of getting at-bats. So I think he made a lot of positive strides in 2020, upped his exit velocity, launch angle, expected batting average, hard-hit percentages, and it cut down on his strikeouts. I think he's somebody that you see his elite uh, zone contact percentage at 90 over 90%. He's someone in, that's going to be in the lineup every day, and I've seen nobody fade him. I've seen everybody in on him around where he's going because he's going to give you every day at bats and he's going to be a steady guy for you. So he's someone late in your drafts you can snag at second base and feel pretty good about it. And Andres Jimenez, I think now that he's with Cleveland, granted he has to make the MLB roster and, and not start the year in AAA, but he's got saw, speed though. Yeah, he's got great Plenty speed. speed. Eight, eight stolen bases and nine attempts in 2020. You know, I don't know if he'll hit over 300, but he's going to probably hit close to it. Give you a decent average, double-digit homers, some stolen bases, some runs. At pick 177, I think you could do a lot worse than him. So I think he's somebody that people have been bumping up their draft boards. But again, keep in mind, they might manipulate the service time with him, so he may not start the year with the big leagues. So you have to kind of keep that in mind. Well, that's interesting, too. I hadn't even actually thought about the service time with him. Mm-hmm. But... uh no, that's somebody, yeah, that's somebody who I'm kind of, I'm definitely weary on. I haven't been, haven't gotten him yet. Um, Solak is somebody, though, I, I feel really, I feel like he could really take a step. Second base gets weird once you start getting even into this range and later. I, I, I find myself, like, either top or bottom sort of strategy or you know something like that because i i just feel weird about so like i feel like he hits in texas that heat it's a decent ballpark to hit in uh once you start getting hotter once it starts getting hotter i I think Solak could really take a step i mean all these guys all this this whole group is pretty interesting here um if you had a favorite who would you go with out of this group um I would say they're very close. Obviously, Dylan Moore is going way ahead of Andres Jimenez, so I'm I'm factoring where I can get them in the draft. And I kind of like Tommy Edmond. He's got four positions he's eligible on on some sites. He's going to give you stolen bases, which are obviously a, a huge commodity. 
Um, Solak's not necessarily going to do that. The other three do. Um, but I would yeah. expect Edmund to hit probably the highest batting average of the, the bunch. I also think he's going to hit a top of the lineup and give you runs. And he's not a sexy name, so I think he's somebody that sometimes even slips past his ADP a little bit. So if I had to put him, rank him, I would probably go Edmund, Solak, Moore, Jimenez based off of where I can get them in the draft. Are you worried about um, the Cardinals potentially doing something with the minors and bringing up a guy like Nolan Gorman and possibly moving Edmund, moving him to second base and getting more playing time? Well, I do think I've read that he's supposed to be their starting second baseman, Tommy Edmund. That they've yeah he's been, yeah he is yeah. he is you're right yeah. So I, I are think you worried about like a midseason if he has any struggles or something or I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think you're always worried about... Like, that's why I'm a little more hesitant on Dylan Moore because his profile was so up and down. He's a guy that had three errors in a game and you know, not great defensively, so something like that could mess with you at the plate. Tommy Edmond seems the most stable out of the bunch based off what I've seen from him so far and somebody that I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't necessarily know if he's going to boom and he's going to be someone that wins me my league. But I feel the most yeah. confident he's going to be the guy that won't lose me in my league out of this bunch. No, that makes a lot of sense. You got to, you got, you got to be safe at, at times too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not really all about risk. I think he's somebody who you can safely project to hit for a decent average and get you what you need. Um, what about some value, guys? I don't want to go through the whole article because I'll just tell people they should check it out because it's a really <laughs> good article. You know, we don't want to, like, spoil everything here. Just have him check it out. Uh, it's really good stuff. He's got all these tiers uh, named different things, some goofy names, good names. Um, there's a who the heck knows tier, for example. <laughs> um, but who the heck even knows what I'm talking about? Let's get let's talk about some value, guys. Like, who, who are your – who's your, like, number – See, I feel like I'm asking, and then now I'm going to have this information when it comes down to that time, but who who are a couple guys that, like, value picks, sleeper picks, you know, some guys later on that you might have interest in or maybe somebody should have interest in anyways? Uh, well, I have no problem sharing this information because I think the best thing about the fantasy baseball community is that we're all very open and honest, talk on our podcast about guys we like and it's a welcoming community. That's why I, I'm never afraid to share guys I like and who I'm strong on. So, I love some, that. Yeah, some guys like after pick 350 according to NFBC ADP, Ty France is going to get an everyday job. He's shown in the minors how ridiculous he was hitting. He's He could be the guy in this group that is 30 home runs if he plays a full year. And he's somebody that, again, I, I wouldn't expect great batting average from, but I've actually grabbed a, a good amount of Ty France. You're getting right after that, after pick 400, Starlin Castro is there. Starlin Castro isn't a sexy name, but again, somebody you could have on your bench uh, as, as a backup second baseman that you know is going to get everyday bats for Washington hit the middle of the lineup. Has great contact percentage, isn't going to strike out at all. And he'll probably give you a lot of RBIs since he's going to be hitting probably three or four for that lineup. Cesar Hernandez, top of the Indians lineup, or the Cleveland baseball team lineup is a great get at 411. Kiki Hernandez is finally going to get everyday playing time for Boston. 
And so I know his platoon splits aren't necessarily great, but it's, again, somebody that you would think is going to get a ton of at-bats at pick 446. So I'm very happy about that. And then a guy that I, I try to grab as much as I can in every draft, that's Luis Arise at pick 487. He's the 39th second baseman off the board for the Twins. I'm a, I'm a big Twins fan, so I know firsthand just watching him. He's the candidate most people pick to win the batting title. He was kind of the popular pick last year. He's a mm-hmm. pick this year that people talk about. Not going to give you much else. Maybe give you a couple steals here and there. But he is strictly a batting average option. Somebody that has the potential to hit 330. And he's, again, maybe not someone you're picking in like I'm just plugging him and starting him, but somebody that you can put in at a, a middle infield spot or somebody that you can have uh, if Brandon Lau is struggling and he's getting benched and you need help in batting average you can put Luis Arise in there and, and maybe stabilize your batting average some. So those are those are all guys going, you know, in the three late 300s, 400s that I've been really targeting. And throwing another guy here, actually, who just hit the first home run of spring training, and that's Jazz Chisholm for uh, the Miami Marlins going at pick 580. Nice. And I, I think spring training, you'll be able to kind of start watching and seeing what these guys do. But that's a name to, to look at, too, the – He's going to be free. You, you won't, I mean, I don't know how much his ADP will rise from some spring training, but uh, he's 48th second baseman off the board. And I think his name's starting to get flown around as somebody that's going to get drafted. Yeah, he is. I'm actually, I've been seeing that more and more. Um, that's, that's definitely an interesting thing. Speaking of spring training, I wanted to mention, we talked about Kevin Biggio, and we, we said that we don't know where he's going to be hitting this year Mm -hmm. and that's true because the blue jays have so many options they can move up and down this order and they they just can do so many different things biggio was leading off today so okay does that does that i mean this is probably reading into it too much because it's the first spring training game but does that change anything the way you way you're looking at it right now or not really uh, well, I'm pulling up the bo- the uh, box score right now just to look at it, but I actually haven't looked at it. I'm just going to watch all the games like after probably at the end of the today and just go over some things. But mm-hmm. I'm not from one game. I'm not going to necessarily change how I feel about him in the you know for where he's batting and everything. Uh, yeah. I don't. Did George Springer hit today? Springer, I mm, doesn't look like he was in the lineup. So that yeah that that alone. I so that's am- that. Yeah, good point. Good point. So I didn't I think, know he wasn't in the lineup either. I just looked at it. Yeah, I mean, again, I one for three with an RBI top the lineup. You know, Semyon, who actually you'll look at in the box score now, was not in this article because he's not second base eligible right now. But he will gain that second base eligibility. They already said he's the starting second baseman. So that's somebody, again, also you're going to be able to snag uh, with second base and shortstop eligibility that's going to be hitting a number two in their lineup, I think, pretty consistently. But I would expect when Springer's in there that Springer's going to hit one and that I would think Biggio's probably going to slide down uh, to the bottom third of the lineup. Yeah, it's interesting. They can do a, quite a bit there. I feel like Kevin Biggio would be solid as an on-base guy at the top of the lineup mm-hmm. and have Springer like more of a he's just more of a solid hitter, more well-rounded, more finished product, hitting cleanup or not clean up, but second, third, somewhere in that nature, like that area of the lineup, I think that would be a good construction for them. Obviously, you got Bichette towards the top and Vladdy and all that, but 
It'll be interesting to see. I think people are sleeping a little bit on Marcus Semien too, and that you brought up a good point about him playing second base and getting the eligibility here soon because I think a lot of people just see the shortstop next to his name and they're not really taking into account that you'll get that eligibility later. So I think that's something that – that's a great point. People need to to pay attention to that, I think, because he's not the most – like he's not the sexiest name, mm-hmm. but he can definitely produce, and I think he had a down year. You know, I, I just think – I think there's more there with Marcus Semien too. I think he's definitely locked into the number two spot in that lineup too. I think it's Springer going to be number one, Semien two. And I think that's, I would be shocked if, barring an injury, that that's not the first two bats in the Blue Jays lineup on opening day. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. It definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, and you brought up Ty France, too. Um, just thinking back about what you were just talking about before I randomly changed the subject back to Kevin Biggio. And just sometimes things just come to my mind and I just think, and I just blurt things out and I just go way back off track. But, um, yeah, uh, Ty France is somebody that I definitely need to look at now because that's somebody who I haven't been – didn't even really look into him much. I don't know. It's it's You brought, bring up a great point. He's probably playing every day uh, with the Mariners. So we'll see. That's, that's definitely an interesting name. Um, I know you got to get going, though, David. I, I feel like we are right on time. It's – you said you said five fifteen. Yeah, and, uh, I mean it's five fifteen. So, yeah, I mean, dude, I I honestly would have loved to keep going. It's you're a great host and great to talk to. I if I um we'll have to do this again sometime, and I'll make sure that it's not round when I'm doing uh, another recording. Oh, it's all good, man. It's definitely all good. I appreciate you saying that, and I appreciate you hopping on here on short notice. And you're definitely gonna you're what more than welcome to come back. I I I look forward to having you on and. And uh, having more discussions, even as the season goes, maybe it's after draft time, maybe, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks we'll talk and do something like that. But uh, like I said, I always enjoy the Triple Play Fantasy podcast. So anybody listening to that, they should definitely check that out. Um, you guys are doing awesome work. Your writing is excellent. The tiers, names and all that, <laughs> all that included is good stuff. So, um, David, let everybody know where they can find you. And uh yeah, man. Wrap us up here. Uh, first, I want to say thanks for listening. Anytime someone tells me they listen, it's always super appreciated. So I, I really appreciate you checking out our show. And yeah, like you said, you can find me at dmendio 2 on Twitter. And I write for Fantrax and I contribute to the Fantasy DGEN site, which is Bubba's site. And uh, I run the, the or I host the, the football and the baseball shows for Triple Play Fantasy and put out every, for baseball, we have a show that records every Thursday and then they come out every Saturday morning. So they're right in your feed Saturday morning by 8 a.m. Very consistent. We'll never miss a week. Something will always be there for you every week. And uh, we're just having a good time doing it. And I'm pumped to be starting to get into the best part of the draft season and actually have baseball going on. So very excited. Yeah, Definitely, man. Absolutely. It's a fun time of year. It's a great time of year. I, uh, once you get these games underway, it's just, it brings like new life. Like we've been mm-hmm. cooped up inside here for this winter and all this it's been miserably cold here in Illinois, snow everywhere all winter long. Uh, I've been driving through it 
trying to manage. It's it's been insane. Um, anyways, David, I really appreciate you hopping on, and uh, I hope I kick your ass in TGFBI, but <laughs> it, uh, it's gonna be fun nonetheless. So, hey man, uh, guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Stuffing the Stat Sheet, and uh, follow the show on Twitter at st stat sheet. Follow me at the riot three two six. Follow David. And uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Have a great day.